Baseball is back as the Angels play the White Sox Sunday at 4.30 on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM, KWWN Las Vegas. In the morning, when you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. So, yesterday there were a lot of reports, or maybe just opinions. I don't know the exact way to phrase this, because we don't exactly have like a report on this, but apparently a lot of people in the NFL think that the 49ers, after trading up to the number three pick in the first round of the NFL draft, are going to pick Mac Jones, Mac Jones instead of Justin Fields or Trey Lance. That Mac Jones is the quarterback they Mac want Jones. so badly that they gave up two future first-round picks to go from 12 to 3. Uh, reading with the story, this might have a lot to do with They might be right. I guess he throws for the second time today, and uh, Le- uh, Le- John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are choosing to go to that instead of Ohio State where Justin Fields is throwing uh, also today. So if they're both choosing to go see Mac Jones a day after or a couple days after they make these kind of moves, then I would think that the reports are kind of uh, correct in terms of they're thinking about this guy. He's not the guy you and I said yesterday. We said either Justin Fields or or Trey Lance. But, again, it's the NFL draft. Like you and I said yesterday, who knows what they're thinking? You, You don't. You have no idea what these guys are thinking other than Urban Meyer, who told Peter King, we will probably draft Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, thanks, for the in- thanks for the insight on that one. Yeah, so again, if this is who they fell in love with, we've heard it from the local guys here. Man, they these guys fall in love with people, and they think everyone else is wrong, and they're right. So if they're going to go see him throw for a second time and pa- bypass Justin Fields, I think he, they probably are thinking about this guy a lot. And that's the worst, that's the biggest mistake, the worst mistake you can make in the NFL draft is assuming that you know more than the rest of the league. Assuming Mm -hmm. that you know a guy is better when nobody else thinks he's going to be that good. Because across the NFL, it's, it's pretty well proven. There's not many teams or many general managers that draft significantly better than other teams over the course of 10, 20 years or whatever it is. Even Bill Belichick, who's hailed as the best coach slash GM in the league, they've had some terrible draft classes recently. So assuming you know more than the rest of the league, assuming you know a guy is going to be a star when he's you know not projected to be picked so high, that's how you end up making horrible picks. And trading up to take Mac Jones at three is a terrible Mac use Jones. of resources. Because he might be there outside of the top five if you don't trade up to three. Like, he, I, I don't know what they're thinking in terms of they've got to beat the rush to get Mac Jones, of Mac all Jones. people. Like, Kyle Shanahan runs a system that makes the quarterbacks look good, right? On the low end, we've seen Jared Goff have very good seasons. On the high end, Aaron Rodgers just won the MVP running a similar system in Green Bay. Right. Matt Ryan almost won an MVP running or with Kyle Shanahan there. So... If they take Mac Jones, I'd expect him to have a really good season. Like, he's going to look good as a rookie quarterback, but it's just a horrific use of resources to go from 12 to 3, give up two first-round picks in the future, to get him of all quarterbacks. You keep insinuating that Cleveland Furrow was a reach. Eh, 
insinuating. I think that's pretty well proved. <laughs> Would the Raiders even argue that at this point? <laughs> Oh, they'd argue it. They're not going to admit they did anything would wrong. Would they? Gonna, they would ask. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ah, in the Zooms, everyone's on top of things. Come on, bubble oh, butts. Man. They picked the guys in the right spot. They fell in love with their guys. Come on. He's got dancing feet with that lower body. It's unbelievable. Look at the body. Look at that bubble butt. TJ Otzelberger is not taking any UNLV assistance with him to Iowa State. He retained one of the assistant coaches at Iowa State, and he has now hired away J.R. Blount from Colorado State and Kyle Green from Northern Iowa. We also got a report yesterday from 24-7 that DeMarlo Slocum is going to be an assistant for Utah. So he is leaving UNLV. Tim Buckley is the only assistant coach remaining for UNLV that could come back. Um, do you think this is just normal off-season coaching changes, yeah. or do you think this says bad things about UNLV staff last year that uh-huh. Otzelberger didn't want any of them, and Kevin Kruger might not be keeping any of them here? I'm not so sure on that. I mean, I think TJ knows a lot of coaches and is comfortable with these guys. I mean, Slocum was at Utah, and I don't know Slocum's relationship with Craig Smith. I'm, I'm sure there's a close one. If he went to that staff, made that jump, but he's going back to the Pac-12. Um I will not be surprised. I'm kind of waiting to see what happens with Oklahoma because I think if the associate doesn't get the job there, you could see a couple of those guys come this way uh, in terms of Kevin Kruger's staff, obviously connection with the dad. Um, so I'm kind of – I'm really interested to see how Kevin um, fills his staff up here. But this stuff happens all the time, and guys switch jobs, and TJ obviously has you know connections with uh, these guys that he hired. I'm more interested in who Kevin hires. I mean, if TJ, if that's his staff there, then – Good for him, but I'm more interested in now what happens with UNLV staff. Is that do you think that's what we're waiting on as far as UNLV staff is what happens at Oklahoma? I I will not be shocked. I'll leave it at that. I, I, they obviously the uh, the associate wants the job. They have not named anyone yet. Uh, but if he doesn't get it, heck, I won't be surprised if a player or two comes. But we'll see what happens when they. I think at Oklahoma they have to settle things there before people start moving. Great question. Thank you. Major League Baseball will relax relax COVID protocols for vaccinated players. So like the NBA has done, Major League Baseball has put out, hey, these are the the COVID protocols you won't have to follow if you are vaccinated. That includes that, you know, they can gather without masks. They can leave their hotel on the road. uh, And if a team has 85% of its Tier 1 personnel vaccinated, they can go without masks in the dugout and the bullpen. So Major League Baseball is incentivizing this for their players to get vaccinated. I assume most of them will, right? I assume we're not going to have yeah. that many baseball players that say no. Well, no. I mean, if they if they know the restrictions are going to be lifted and they can leave the hotel on the road and do things they've always done, I mean, I think it'd be silly not to get I think it's silly not to get vaccinated, period. That's my own opinion, but... I certainly would think it's silly for a pro athlete who has had some, you know, some of the off-field stuff taken away from them because of COVID, and now they can have the freedoms back. I would think they'd get vaccinated for sure. Um, have the card with you, Tyler. That's what we hear. Have that card with you. So, <laughs> you know, you need to, it's, it's your passport from here on out, my friend, That's... for a couple years. So have that in your wallet. Well, they. I listen on the vaccination cards. I'm a little upset because they made them too big. It it can't fit in your wallet. Yep. <laughs> this thing is this thing is way too big. Like it's it should have been the size of an ID card. 
So you can put it in your wallet and just pull it out. But now I'm like carrying around like an index card to like, hey, uh, yeah, look, like it's uh, way too big. You, all right, so you're gonna have to start wearing a blazer because typically blazers have a oh, interior, an <laughs> interior in, pocket, an interior yeah. bottom pocket called a card pocket, which is where you would keep your business cards if you were, you know, a businessman. Well, but instead, you'll be like, my backseat. Yeah, I, I would, wouldn't all leagues go to something like this though, and open restrict and open up some of the restrictions. Like the, I mean, the NFL's so many weeks. I get that. But these long seasons, like Major League Baseball and the NBA and, and hockey, don't you foresee this happening all over sports? Where hey, prove to your prove to us you're vaccinated, and we'll like loosen up a little. Yeah, and that's and it's it's following what like the CDC has said because the CDC has even said, hey, if you're if you're vaccinated, groups of vaccinated people, you guys don't need to wear masks when you're around each other. So I, I think yeah, it's a it's a no brainer for leagues to say, hey, once you're able to get vaccinated. Go get vaccinated, and life yeah. will be a little bit more normal for you. If you had to pick a group of professional, like professional athletes, who are most likely to be anti-vaccine, like anti-vaccine people, I would go. I like. I would push all in on Major League Baseball players. No, it's like got to uh, be lacrosse, Jared. Well, yeah, they're moms. Fair yeah. enough. Got to be lacrosse. That's a great, great question. The Mets offered Francisco Lindor a 10-year deal worth $325 million. So Lindor, uh, he has said that he wants, if there's going to be an extension before the season, he wants it done before the season starts, and he doesn't want to negotiate during the season. It the, That was reported by John Heyman as the Mets' final offer, 10 for 325. So if Lindor doesn't accept that, it sounds like he would become a free agent once the season ends. Boy, that's a huge risk reward. I assume he'd get that on the open market, but I would take that now. This is not Correa betting on himself and thinking he's worth more, which he probably is. This is $325 million. So I, if he doesn't take this, I mean, like I said, you know, if, he, if he's worth more, I, I, that's a big number, though. I mean, he'd have to have a great, great season to get beyond that number, in my opinion. 325 for 10, I would take it. I mean, I understood Correa saying no. This would be weird if this guy said no on this. Yeah, Carlos Correa turned down a six-year $120 million. He's worth more than that. Yeah, I'm fascinated because we we could have, if Lindor and Correa don't accept uh, extensions before the season starts, we could have five legitimately top-end shortstops become free agents this offseason. Yeah. And I'm curious if all of them are going to get paid. Like, are we are, are we really going to have an offseason where five guys at the same position all end up with deals worth 10 years and over $325 million? Because yeah. that's what that's what Lindor's saying. He's If he doesn't accept that, he's saying, I can get more than that in the offseason, so I'm going to wait till the offseason. And that's probably what Carlos Correa and Seager and Trevor Story and all these free agent shortstops are thinking are we really going to have five shortstops get that in the offseason? I'm I'm fascinated to see oh. if that actually happens because I, I kind of don't think it will. I mean, I don't think so either. Well, first, right off the top, you know this. You can eliminate most teams if that's the number you're talking about, right? So, yeah, these guys can go into free agency, and I guess there are five teams you could pay. There's not many of them in baseball that are going to go to these incredible numbers. So it's a chance you're taking. I mean, I think if you're Lindor, you know someone's going to pay you, but... Let's say you're Seager and these other guys are getting paid. The team you're on can probably pay you about what anyone else would. So I don't know 
if you hit the market. I mean, it's not like there's 20 teams that are going to pay you top-end dollar. They, that just doesn't happen in baseball. So if all five hit the market, they might just go to five different teams, and that's it, because those are the only ones that can afford guys like that. Next question. Baylor lost to UConn in the women's Elite Eight last night. Uh, Ed, how screwed did they get by the refs? Big time. Uh, LeBron tweeted it. What a joke. It was a foul. <laughs> I love I love the girl. I love the Baylor kid who they asked after the game, like, what do you think about the controversial call? She goes, I don't know. She hit me in the face and the arm. Not very controversial to me. So, <laughs> that's a great answer. Uh, but, yeah, Gino, Gino gets away with one again. On to the Final Four for Gino. Uh, uh, so, the uh, more noteworthy part of that game, though, is what Kim Mulkey, the head coach of Baylor, said after the game. Uh, Jared, let's play that audio. I want to say this to all of you. I don't think my words will matter, but after the games today and tomorrow, there's four teams left, I think, on the men's side and the women's side. They need to dump the COVID testing. Wouldn't it be a shame to keep COVID testing and then you've got kids that end up having test positive or something? And they don't get to play in the Final Four. So you need to just forget the, the, the COVID test and let the four teams that are playing in each Final Four go battle it out. You know what would be worse, Kim Mulkey? If somebody played with COVID and infected their teammates because they weren't testing and didn't know they shouldn't be around their teammates and infected people on the other team, and now you have four teams in the Final Four and they all have covid after playing each other in the Final Four because you decided, hey, we should stop testing for COVID like there's not a pandemic going on. Um, she got she had COVID during the year. I don't know. You can help me here. I don't know. She seemed to just offer it herself. I don't know if someone specifically asked about COVID, but she, when, she, when you start off with things like, I'm going to say something here, that's even more <laughs> ignorant than if you were actually asked about it. And, the, and her statement would have been ignorant then. But if you're just saying that off the top of your head, you know, what did you think of the foul? How's your team next year? Thank you very coach. No, wait, hold on. I've got something else to say. And you say that? It's like, what? That is an ignorant statement. And especially for someone who had it, I do not get that at all. And that is not a good statement from her. All right. Coming up next, what in the hell happened with David Jenkins and TJ Otzelberger during the season? Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bishon. Jessica Kleinschmidt is going to join us in a few minutes to talk baseball as the season is almost here. But we got some UNLV basketball to get into because David Jenkins is in the transfer portal. He did put out a statement last night on Twitter that did mention he could come back. To UNLV, anybody that's in the portal can go back to their original school. Uh, but he is in the portal, seventh player for UNLV in the transfer portal. But the more interesting story from yesterday is a report from Mike Ramala, who wrote, according to a source, Otzelberger soured on Jenkins during the course of the season. Midway through, Otzelberger summoned Jenkins to a one-on-one meeting in which the coach told Jenkins he would not have a place on the roster on the UNLV roster in 2021-2022. According to the source, Otzelberger told Jenkins he did not enjoy coaching him anymore. So what are we doing about this meeting Otzelberger had to tell Jenkins he wouldn't be on the roster after this season? Yeah, um, 
I don't know. I mean, I thought we saw with lineups that there might have been some issues with how he thought he was playing or defending or not leading, whatever uh, the problems Osselberger's had with him. To say you're not going to be on the roster next season before the season's over, before he leaves for Iowa State, and, and that's reading my story, that's the sense I got, that's really uh, interesting to where that decision would be made before anything happens at the end of the year. If, if that happened, if that happened, that is a huge fallout. Um, you know, it's one thing, and I think Kevin had these tough dis- discussions with a lot of the kids in the portal now afterwards, like, look, you're just not good enough at this level. We've got to get you somewhere else. That happens all the time. I mean, kids, you know, for lack of a better term, they get broomed, and they're told to go in the portal, and they try to find levels that they're good at or that they can play at. When you're telling one of essentially your leading players, it seemed like, in the middle of the year, you're not going to have a place in this team, you almost wonder, and I don't want to speculate here, but I think you have to, was this just basketball? I mean, that's, when you hear that's like, is this completely just basketball? If, if and when that was actually said to the kid? Yeah, I think that's a fair thing to question because, it, okay, if you're if you're a college basketball coach, at the end of the year, you're going to tell guys they don't have a place yeah. on the roster. I, I'm sure. I'm almost certain that just happened with Donovan Yap, yeah. Isaac Lindsay, and Jalen Martinez for UNLV. Yes, but that happens at the end of the year. There were there were yes. ten games left in the regular season when this meeting supposedly went down. And if you're TJ Otzelberger and you tell a player, your second leading scorer, that he doesn't have a place on the roster after this season, you're you're risking that player quitting and walking away from the team right then yeah. and there. Because if I'm David Jenkins and I hear, well, you're not going to be on this team anymore, then I'd say, well, why the hell am I on this team now? I'm going to go transfer now and go somewhere else. And yeah. so, like, if you that makes that's that strategy by Otzelberger makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to me. Like, the idea, even even if you're just unhappy with how well he's been as a leader, it makes no sense to me that you would tell somebody, well, you're not going to be on the team next year. No, like, please finish I, out this season for me, but you're not going to be on the team next year. And even, I, I, Go ahead. I was going to say, even if it was something right. off the court, if you're Otzelberger and it's off the court, I mean, wouldn't you just say, hey, you're not on the team anymore? Like, I, I don't know. I, to me, it, it makes no sense that Otzelberger would do something like that in season. No. This flies, and like I said, this flies in the face of how this happens. I covered Steve Fisher at San Diego State. I covered his first year. I had lunch with him afterwards. After the season, they were horrible. He inherited a team, and it's very simple. He had like eight or nine conversations. You're a good kid. We like you. You can keep your scholarship. You'll never play for us again. And then you put it in the kids' hands to say, you know what? I'm never playing here again. I have to move on. That's how it works. Um, And like you said, I'm sure Kevin had those conversations. Uh, This is very strange, Tyler. I, I... and, he, and here's the thing, if he was told that, and if he was told you're not going to play here again next year, and it was during the season, I've got to be honest with you, I give credit to David Jenkins for sticking around and, and playing yeah. as he did. I mean, I, if he literally was told you're not coming back, and the kid said, okay, but I'm going to keep trying to play hard, I'm going to keep trying to play for my team, bravo to David Jenkins, because like yeah, you said, a absolutely. lot of kids would say, not only a lot of kids, their parents, their handlers, whoever, if that got back to them, that would be it, the kid would be gone. I would. I mean, I mean, there's, there's zero. There was like, it's not like UNLV was in a position to make the NCAA tournament. Like he was playing on a team that was basically a dead end season at that point. Like, what are you sticking around for? If if that's what you were told. Now we should say David Jenkins on Twitter last night did come out and say that that was false. 
that that meeting didn't happen or that that meeting didn't happen that way, one of the two. So Jenkins has denied this. Um, but the, I, I don't think, however the meeting went down, there had to have been some sort of meeting because Jenkins got taken out of the starting lineup. Otzelberger, to the media, to us, talked about Jenkins not being a good enough leader on this team multiple times. So there there was definitely some sort of meeting, some sort of issue between the two of them. I guess it's a matter of how severe it was and how bluntly T.J. Otzelberger said, you're not going to be on this team next year. Yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I, I, we, there had to be a meeting because especially with his role changing, that that's obvious that there was absolutely probably a meeting. I mean, I don't think you don't start him anymore and not pull him aside and say, hey, this is what we're doing. That would make no sense at all. Um, we'll have to see going forward. Like I said, he left it open on his Twitter that he could come back, but he will get calls. David Jenkins is a good enough player to where he will get calls now, and I'm sure he already has from other teams. Yeah, Gonzaga and Oregon were two of the schools interested when he yeah, left South get calls. State. I'm Damn. sure his stock has gone down, uh, but he's a, yes. he's a terrific shooter. So he's he's got a valuable skill set. Somebody's going to want him. It's just a matter of how high of a level. Because I, I don't know that Gonzaga, Oregon are coming back for him, but I'm sure power conference schools would be interested to know that guy can shoot 40 plus percent from three we absolutely want that all right coming up next jessica kleinschmidt joins the show there is a silent terror in baseball one which has never come to pass in the real world it's the press box the terror is this there's no guarantee that a baseball game will ever end. There's no clock. It's absolutely possible for a pitcher to be so ineffective that outs are never reported and the game marches on, locked in a death spiral until the end of time. Joining us now is Jessica Kleinschmidt. Make sure you follow her on Twitter at KleinschmidtJD. Uh, Jessica, how are you this morning? Hey, Jessica. I'm Hey, guys. I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're good. I, I got a question. When you get to the end of spring training, do you look back and think, man, spring training is way too long? Um, You know what? I don't remember, really. Cause like, last year, it didn't feel like it because it was actually cut off. This year, yes and no. Um, I feel like it depends on when you ask me because I'm a sucker for spring training. It's my favorite time of the year. Um, but this year, it kind of felt like it was a normal season, perhaps that's why. But yeah, actually, that kind of makes sense. I feel like there's times where I'm exhausted and then the regular season hasn't even started yet. So yes and no. So I'm curious your thoughts on the potential free agent shortstop market. We have Carlos Correa turning down a six-year, $120 million deal. Francisco Lindor might be turning down a 10-year uh, $325 million deal. What, like, do you think we could have five big name free agent shortstops? Like, do you think they'll all get paid something like 10, 300 or 325 in this off season? I do. Um, but I was kind of anticipating it for a while now. Of course I cover the A's. So Marcus Simeon was going to be a part of that big market for a while. So I've been kind of paying close attention to it. I think it's a good thing because, you know, I grew up, I feel like up until recently, maybe like past Derek Jeter, we weren't seeing a lot of powerful powerful shortstops. They were known for just having a savage of a defensive glove and then 
they'll get on base. And I feel like it's cool to see from that perspective. But after Lindor um, signed, or after Tatis Jr. signed his extension, I think we kind of anticipated this coming. Um, and I think we're going to have to wait quite a while because we all know how free agency works. Um, Trevor Bauer didn't get signed for a while. We've had you know, Bryce Harper, and Manny Machado one season didn't get signed until after spring training started. So I think they're all going to get paid very, very well. Um, obviously, this Lindor contract can very much set the precedence of what the rest of the shortstops are going to want. Um, but I feel like it's also a good thing. We love the Francisco Lindors of the world are showing like more than just his playing ability, how electric and fun he can really be. I think they're, they're all going to get paid, but some guys will have to settle. I think that just happens in free agency. But Lindor's conversation right now really is going to start the beginning of a big thing. And they didn't want him to hit free agency anyway. Um, that's what I was told when I announced the Tatis um, extension any uh, out back in January. So we anticipate this coming, but don't anticipate all all five of them getting this daddy money is what I like to call it. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, you know, in the past, the, the Padres were a different kind of organization, but with Tatis and Machado and some of the things they've done, obviously they're trying to win and they're spending money to do it. But like Tyler and I were saying on these five, I don't know, will six teams be bidding for them? I mean, now you're talking about dollars, right, where the large percentage of teams are just like, we can't afford that, so just you five go to five different teams and you'll all get paid. Yeah, and I feel like that that could also set a precedent for all the other teams. I mean, I cover the A's. Like, there's we don't even blink when it comes to these guys. But it's kind of when it when it. And but I think it's cool. Like you saw Preller. Preller was like, it, it's like he injected something into his veins and went out and really did the free agency thing really well. And I was excited to see that just from like a baseball junkie perspective. But it's it's kind of the same teams every year nowadays. Yeah. Though we're adding the Padres into it. And I feel like the Red Sox are going to come back as one of those teams. They're going to have a resurgence in free agency. Um, and you, if you want to call it a rebuild, if you will. And I even feel like the term rebuild doesn't quite characterize what the Padres are doing because they, they laughed at that word and said, well, let me show you a rebuild. And they went out and did it. So it always comes down to the few teams. They're just going to add a couple more in there. And I think from now on, we're going to be like, what, what are the Padres going to do? And I love, obviously, Mets have that new owner and just a ridiculous amount of money. And I'm glad he's putting his money where his mouth is. And I, and I feel like that's a good lesson for MLB. Um, but it also makes you pay attention to well, what do these luxury taxes mean and everything like that. I know they say there's not actually a, cap, a salary cap in baseball, but there is. They just add the term luxury, and it sounds better, I guess. But it's just it is what it is. Um, it's always the same teams. I just feel like there's going to be a couple more trickling in and we're going to be reminded that a few years back it was some of these other teams as well. So, I mean, I get excited off of it. I love free agency time. Um, so it's just going to be another mess, but a fun mess again. Jessica, we've got Major League Baseball saying that they want to use StatCast data to, you know, see which pitchers have an increase in spin rate and if they're cheating by using an illegal substance. Uh, they say they want to crack down on this. Do you think they actually will crack down on this throughout the season? That's actually a good question, and I don't feel like they will. I, I have this interesting thought where it might be a gentleman's rule where, I mean, I it's for me, pine tar, like I, I watch Matt Olson who covers his pine tar, like if, if it were my face before I go on camera with makeup. He's just covered in it. And I don't know why it would be a big deal if you had pine tar on both sides of the ball. Now, mind you, I don't 
I'm not a person who is a professional pitcher by any means, but I know how some of these uh, rosin bags can help and benefit. People are using more than just, you know, pine tar and spider tack and all these stuff. People are using spit. They're using their snot. They're using all kinds of stuff. So how could you characterize from that? And then you want to geek out even more and look at the stats, cast members. When What if you just, like, learned how to grip your slider a different way because you have Sergio Romo on your team and he taught you a specific way and you're looking at these numbers and I feel like that's not a good the seeing eye test, it will always be Bay in baseball, if you will. That's the daddy of everything. So you want to add that cast stuff into it. I just don't see how that's going to be able to get a, be a good measurement because the game's ever evolved. And you have Pitching Ninja who's showing different pitching grips, and, and that's obviously going to alter your the, the spin rate on the ball and vice versa. So I think it'll be kind of raised eyebrow-ish. I just don't foresee them getting a little too anal about it. I, I can't foresee that happening. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it'll just kind of be like, well, you're not supposed to do it, but we're going to act like we didn't see it type of deal, which I think is good. I feel like that's good for baseball to remind you like, hey, this is a game. We love it. Just, it's a bro code. Just shut up about it and go play the game. I just I don't see the big deal about it, and I haven't for quite a while. Uh, some of the win totals are outrageous. Is there a chance, is there any chance, that the two best teams in baseball are in the same division in the NL West and they'll have to face each other before one gets to the World Series? I mean, of course, but I think everything's on paper right now. I look at every team right now. There's, like, very few teams where I'm like, oh, that team's going to suck. Maybe the Orioles, and I'm just going to put that out there because I hate to say it when my best friend, you know, does the play-by-play for them, but she knows. She knows what they have, but you can only see what you can do on paper. And, you know, you have the three teams. You have your preseason team, the regular season team, and then your postseason team. And it doesn't matter what happens during the regular season. It's what you do in the, in the postseason. So, of course, right now it's easy to say, oh, okay, it's both the Dodgers and the Padres. Yeah, they're going to dominate the NL West, but we don't know what's going to happen after that. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of an easy play to call, but you can't really – nobody's going to argue with me when I say the two best teams are in the NL West right now. Um, so, I just – it's it's whatever. But it'll be interesting, and I'm kind of bummed about that. Don't get me wrong, because it – but there's – Yankees never sleep on the Yankees. We don't know what's going to happen. Like, the Tampa Bay Rays made some really interesting moves this offseason. I'm not going to be biased, but I am going to be biased. Do not sleep on the Oakland A's. I genuinely mean that. And, but you look at the pay, on paper, right? Like, and, and it, it kind of is what it is. But that Dodgers rotation going up against that Padres rotation, if you don't like baseball, this is the perfect season to start falling in love with it because of those two rotations alone. Jessica, you, you cover the A's, so I feel like you can put the Texas Rangers in the same category as the Baltimore Orioles before the season starts. Why are you trying to get me in trouble, dude? Like, I don't – I – and I'm only going to agree on the fact that I, I wanted to see them just be better last year. And, and it's no different. You look at the lineup, they have great individual players. Of course, there was that big trade from the A's and the, and the Rangers that sent Chris Davis over there. I was hoping for a resurgence from him, a comeback. Uh, Jonah Heim, that guy has so much power. And um, he's looking to make, you know, the opening day roster and everything like that. So individually, sure, they're good. But, I mean, the AOS is one of the – more, more finicky divisions, not the best division, certainly not the worst, but we know it's going to be A's, Angels, and Astros. And, every, and of course, the A's and Astros are going to have that rivalry because, alone because Fires is on the A's now. But, I mean, you said it, and I, I gave you my commentary <laughs> here. That's all that happened okay. there. 
Hold on. You, you mentioned the angels up there, and I feel like this has become like a yearly tradition where the angels, oh, this is this is the year they're going to contend in the AL West, and then they, they don't actually do it. Do you think the angels can actually contend in the AL West this year? So either yes or no. That's literally the only answers I can give you. But I will say, honestly, for the first time, rather than just say, like, don't sleep on the angels, like, I – know for a fact that the A's pitchers hate throwing to David Fletcher probably almost as much as they hate throwing to Mike Trout um, because David Fletcher just hits the you-know-what out of the ball. And um, Shohei Otani's actually coming, being both of the players he's supposed to be, which is kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know if you all saw that clip of him throwing, pitching in the in, during spring training. And so I really like them. I like them a lot. Um, and I, But I think it's still going to be A's and um, Astros. But then there's, like, the giant NL West mentality where we're not expecting a ton from them, but they're going to be that team to kind of piss off the other teams. I feel like the Angels were are kind of like that, but a little bit better. They do have really good names on paper um, and everything like that. So I genuinely think that they're going to make it interesting in their division. I'm not just saying that, but I, really, I, I anticipate them making some noise for sure. We give you all the options of expanded playoffs, um, universal DH, starting the runner in second, all the things we saw in the condensed season. Would you take them all, or is there one or two of them you're like, no, uh, baseball doesn't need that? I'm having like a really weird relationship with the universal DH, um, just because he- heading into it, I always loved the idea of the universal DH just from a romantic perspective. I'm a big Joey Votto fan, and I never want him to stop playing. So if there's a DH position, he can play forever. But then watching it this off like last season, and I don't know if it was just too small of a sample size or they weren't prepared to have the DH in some of those NL teams. I couldn't tell if the Giants benefited or struggled with it. But then now heading back into it, I'm thinking about a lot of the old school managers are actually okay with it. They're, they don't hate the idea, but even Bob Melvin, the A's manager, old school guy, of course, he likes how it's separate, but he also is, is – the leagues are separate, but he's also embracing it. So that one I'm still struggling with, but I'm kind of leaning toward I like the universal DH, but like, because I, I can only imagine a pitcher going up to that. We're not anticipating anything from them. And we know we're trying to make baseball more fun. And I love Trevor Bauer. I love, you know, the Madison Bumgarners of the world. But like, Madison Bumgarner goes yard once every blue moon. And it's not a thing that happens all the time. Like when Trevor's going up to the plate, we know what's going to happen. Come on. Like, it's not like stop what you're doing. Turn on sports center right now for this live in game at bat. Cause Bauer's going up against Madison Bumgarner right now. Like I'm not excited about that. Um, but the expanded playoffs, I thought they were really cool. And maybe it was also, um, there were a lot of good teams last year. So you couldn't really argue who was making those, the expanded playoffs. Um, seventh inning rule or whatever it was, seventh inning doubleheaders as a journalist, it's still a long day for me. I couldn't care less. It's just, it's a long day. I don't care. But seeing Shohei Otani start on second base was too little league orange slices mentality for me. Did not like it. Um, but there were actually a lot of managers who embraced them. Um, so it, it varies by, by the different ones. Um, but all in all, last season, I thought they did a beautiful job with the experimentation, considering I'm like the person who will say, do not mess with baseball. I think they did a really good job, but there's certain things we need to like chill, like just relax, just play the game, let's move on, chill. 
Well, she is Jessica Kleinschmidt from NBC Sports Bay Area. You can uh, listen to her podcast, uh, Corked Up, as well. Uh, Jessica, I did want to ask you, which is the better fish-related baseball name? Tim Salmon or Oyster Burns? Um, I'm going to say salmon only because I've never eaten oysters, <laughs> but, but however, I did watch the conspiracy documentary lately and I don't want to come anywhere around seafood ever again. So I, I just, you know, they die salmon. Yes. My life is ruined. I'm just so upset. I don't know. Yes. So I, 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 I hate both of them it. equally. Okay, I've I've seen the trailer for Seaspiracy, but I don't think I actually want to watch it because then I'll have to change things in my life. Thanks, Jessica. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Oh, don't don't tell me that they do bad things in the ocean, Ed. I I haven't seen it. I have not seen it. Yeah, it's a it's a documentary about um, how horrible we are to our oceans in order to get seafood for people to eat. Oh, okay. All right. Coming up next, <laughs> Luke Bergdandy from PropSwap. We're checking in on the latest news from PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Joining us now from PropSwap is Luke Perg Dandy and Luke, I'm, I'm curious. We got two big underdogs, USC, UCLA tonight. What what do those tickets look like on Prop Swap for their future odds? Yeah, we actually just sold a, uh, a the original bet amount was a thousand dollars at two hundred to one odds on USC. The ticket was from uh, South Point Casino. He sold it last night for ten thousand dollars. Um, so that person who paid $10,000 got odds of 19 to one, uh, USC is 12 to one everywhere in the country. So seller turns a thousand bucks into 10,000, uh, buyer gets the best odds in, in the world on, on USC. Can't believe you made my ticket public. Um, so listen, uh, Major League Baseball starts in a few days. Um, and he, some of these win totals are outrageous and, we had a Buster only, only on earlier the week that said some of them could be actually reached uh, in terms of these high win totals. Are you seeing anything as baseball approaches either in win totals, uh, World Series, or whatever, as, as we kind of get into the season starting? Yeah, yeah, we are starting to see more MLB tickets. I would still say the most uh, imminent uh, sporting event is the Masters next week. And we've okay. just seen so many Masters tickets get posted. On the pop shop recently, so if you are in any way planning on betting that event, definitely check out the website. We have plenty of tickets up for sale. Um, but to your question about the MLB, I always tell people bet over under win totals, and you don't have to lock up your money for the whole season anymore. Say you bet, you know, the White Sox are a trending team. Like you bet the over on the White Sox, and they have a good first thirty games. Right, you can sell that on prop swap in May or you know be middle of June and not have to wait until October when the sports bars are going to pay those tickets out. Um, so, you know, you can – and maybe the last half of the White Sox season is bad, uh, and you've already right. cashed out. So it's kind of a, a good strategy to get paid right. early, A, and B, uh, capitalize on a team's early success or, uh, or poor performance if you're betting the under, you know. I, I love the idea of sitting on a baseball team and you're like, all right, 
they're going to suck for the first 20 games. So we're going to bet the under and then sell the ticket. I love that idea. Yeah. It's just, it's such a long season. There's so many, you know, twists and turns for a baseball season. Um, and, you know, before, you know, Prop Talk came along, people just didn't want to tie their money up for five months, which I completely understand. Um, but if you can, you know, cash in early in 30 to 60 days into the season, great. Well, he is Luke Perk Dandy from Prop Swap. Luke, we appreciate your time. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the game tonight. Bye. All right. Um, all right. So our Sharp did win yesterday. He had Oregon State uh, going plus eight and a half. Uh, I would call it the backdoor cover, but they, but then they almost blew it at the end. So it was 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 going to be a backdoor cover either way. But we got Oregon State plus eight and a half for Oscar, and he got it. Um, Jared, do, do we have Oscar ready to go? I'm going to assume that's a no, since we didn't hear anything from Jared. Um, Has Jared I, hit the mute button that I always hit? I assume Jared is on the phone with Oscar <laughs> and hasn't gotten him on. on I'll tell you what about about prop swap. How, how many people are going to sell those Seattle Mariner tickets when they're fourteen and zero, thinking they're going to hit the over? And then the next four months are going to be like ten and forty six. All right, Oscar, you got Oregon State yesterday. Where are you going today? I'm going to take the Trojans and take USC. Ooh. All right, we got USC. We're betting against Gonzaga. Just so you know, everyone that's ever bet against Gonzaga loses. We can give you IC an eight and a half. So USC plus eight and a half will be your line. Uh, if you get that, we'll be talking to you again tomorrow, Oscar. Good luck, Oscar. All right, sounds so good. Take care, guys. All Oscar right. is going to find every line from here on out that's just eight and a half. <laughs> and he's going to like go 20 and up. We, uh, yeah, teams have not done well betting against um Gonzaga no. so far. No. I man, we've talked about it. I like USC a lot. They might lose by twenty. Like they, yeah. they might lose this game by I twenty. Mean, I, I, US or Gonzaga is so I good. I can't watch. I can't wait to watch it because USC's played so well. I I, I mean, I, I've never looked forward to maybe uh, a game like this just to see if they can get close and try to do it. Yeah, USC's been good, and I like them a lot. I don't know that I'd bet them plus eight and a half. <laughs>